3 this evening. 1 Kings chapter 3, picking up where we left off from a few weeks ago in our study through 1 Kings that we are calling Timeless Truths. So let me remind you this evening of what we have previously looked at just briefly uh, in order to paint the background to this section of our narrative this evening, which is perhaps uh, the most well-known part of King Solomon's life here in 1 Kings chapter 3. And the book of Kings is all about God, ultimately, but the narrative follows the kings of Israel, and eventually Judah as well, when the nation is split. And we have shown uh, this, this first timeline several times, just looking at the uh, timeline of Israel in the Old Testament, okay? So we have um, all the way back to the period of the patriarchs, the the wilderness, the conquest, the period of the judges. And then if you remember, after the period of the judges, the children of Israel displeased the Lord with a request. And that was they wanted a man to lead the nation. And that displeased the Lord because he was the sole leader of the nation of Israel, his chosen people. But he did give the children of Israel what they wanted, what they asked for. And King Saul was the first king of Israel. And then we see that David succeeds him. Uh, to the throne, and all that kind of takes place in uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel as you read through that. And then we pick up in 1 Kings uh, chapter 1, where David is towards the end of his life, uh, which is what we saw. We also have this other timeline we started putting up here a few weeks back, and this shows the kings as, they, as the timeline of that, that time of the period of the kings goes. You see here soon... There's going to be a split nation, and there will be uh, almost two kings that you're learning about as you study through the book of, books of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles even. But we are with Solomon right now. He is king of Israel. And so if you remember, 1 Kings opens up with the famous King David. And towards the end of his life, and as Israel looked at a transition of kings... God had chosen Solomon, and David had confirmed that. However, David's son Adonijah saw an opportunity to promote himself when the king was at his weakest. And instead of helping with a smooth transition, Adonijah's pride stirred discord and resulted in many good people being confused of what God's will was for the nation of Israel and the next leader. And we learned that pride always destroys the work of God in a person and group of people's lives. But thankfully, in our narrative, someone was loyal, right? And not just loyal to King David, but ultimately loyal to God and to God's word. And this man's name was Nathan. And Nathan approaches the king about Adonijah, and it results in King David taking action. And we saw that even today, it is vitally important for you and I to remain loyal to God and to his word, to a fault. We wrapped up the cha uh, chapter 1 with Solomon being pronounced and anointed the next king. And Adonijah runs to the altar and grabs hold of the horns to claim sanctuary at the end of chapter 1. And Adonijah finds himself in a situation pleading for his life. But we looked at the truth that Adonijah should have known better. He lacked prudence about the potential outcomes of his decisions. And the Bible tells us as well that a prudent man foresees the evil and hideth himself, 
but the simple pass on and are punished. And we have to develop in our lives a regular spirit of prudence or caution. What, what will this lead me to? What will this lead my family to, my child to? The Bible tells us uh, that that is the case. And uh, chapter 2 opened up with David on his deathbed, giving Solomon spiritual advice, specific advice about some men, if you remember. And as the mighty King David died, ultimately, David left an example for Solomon to follow. And when it comes to the next generation in our day and age, it's our job to give spiritual advice, to give specific advice and to live a life that is an example to pass on to the next generation as well. And if you are a part of that next generation, your job in passing that on is to receive that instruction. And David dies and Solomon becomes the king. And at this point in chapter 2, it marks a line of judgments Solomon gives out to four specific men, if you remember this, stu- this part of the study. First to Adonijah. Adonijah is caught in another scheme against the throne breaking the one condition Solomon put on his life. And uh, as a result, Solomon sends Benaiah to kill Adonijah. And Adonijah's life was marked by caring more for and acting on his will and not God's will. And in our lives, we have to have a mentality, a way of life that every day says God's will and plan is better than mine, even if it didn't go the way I thought it should. And the next man was Abiathar, the high priest, who to this point in our narrative had chosen right as far as we know, but completely misses this one as he jumps on board with Adonijah because Adonijah was more of a logical choice, if you remember. He was older, he was an experienced man of war, and we saw that even when we are scholars of the word, been saved for years, it's important to die to self daily on a regular basis as well, because it can happen to any of us. Abiathar doesn't lose his life, but he loses his position and is placed in retirement. Joab, the captain of the guard, who also um, was involved in all the scheming and had served for many years under King David, but because of his pride, he did not see the blessings of service. He did not see the opportunities of service underneath King Solomon. We saw that faithful service is always required, and when we put self aside, we don't miss those opportunities. But when it's all focused on ourselves, we miss opportunities to serve, and we miss God's blessings uh, as a result of that as well. Then finally in chapter 2, we saw Shimei. Remember the man who threw rocks and cursed King David? Solomon gives him boundaries not to leave Jerusalem. And three years later he leaves, and Solomon has him put to death. And if you remember... We talked about the reasons for boundaries, and we talked about our response to boundaries. We discussed that submission to boundaries is needed daily, and developing biblical boundaries for yourself, children, school, church is needed and wise as well because of what they help us accomplish. And we listed off several things that boundaries help with. And finally, last week we took a closer look at Solomon and saw the beginning stages of Solomon's greatest downfall. So as we've opened up 1 Kings chapter 3, we see the beginning stages of Solomon's greatest downfall, and we see the beginning stages of Solomon's greatest choice as well. And we see both of them contrast, and we looked at his peacemaking with the nation of Egypt, and in doing so, compromising against that 
um, command not to marry the women of these other nations, and also compromising on the means that he, they were using to worship God. They were using high places. We looked at that last week and how dangerous compromise is to any believer. And we looked at several things that it leads to and uh, ways that even, even sometimes we can ignorantly compromise, but it's still no excuse. It's still just as dangerous. And we looked at uh, how compromise for peace and compromise in worship is, not, is a dangerous thing. And that brings us to tonight. And tonight we're going to look at what Solomon is really most known for, right? His wisdom. And we're going to see where it all started, chapter 3. And uh, the stages of Solomon's greatest spiritual and practical victories, they start with uh, this portion of our narrative. So before we read this passage, we're going to look at um, verses 4 through 15 here in 1 Kings chapter 3 and see Solomon's greatest need in his life. Before we look at these verses, I'm wondering this evening, how many of you would admit that you enjoy Chinese food every once in a while? Alright, so a good majority, I do, I'm not someone that wants it every day, but every once in a while, I do have a craving for sesame chicken and fried rice, that is what I would usually resort to. But when you get Chinese food or you go to a Chinese restaurant, you always get something after you eat, and it's called a fortune cookie. And uh, those, are, those are fun to get, especially when you have a large family and you're comparing what your fortune is. But I, I, I hope I speak for everybody this evening that nobody takes that fortune from the fortune cookie and begins to place their faith in what that said and live every day with the assumption that whatever it said is going to come true. Or if I do this, maybe the fortune is that um, if you smile more, you'll have more friends by the end of the week, whatever it is. And nobody really puts their life in uh, the statement or fact of a fortune cookie. And that's because the origins are, it's a cookie, right? We're not going to put our life from something that originates from something so temporal. And here we see that Solomon has his greatest need as he is put into being the king of Israel is that he cannot do it on his own. He needs someone bigger. He needs something to help. So the wisdom of Solomon, let's read 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 4. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast 
asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life. Neither hast thou asked riches for thyself, nor hast thou asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither shalt, that, shalt any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then will I lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all of his servants. Here is Solomon, and he is following the King David. Pretty big shoes to fill, wouldn't you say? Uh, a, a hero when it came to the battlefield. Uh, a man uh, later, in, later in his life, older, wiser at this time when he passed away, experienced. The Bible tells us that he was a man of the people, that he served the people. The people uh, loved David, King David dearly, and no doubt they dreaded the day when someone would take his place and King David would no longer be there. So you switch the scene now to experienced David, hero on the battlefield. The people are all on David's side to young, unexperienced, really never been in battle, never made a governmental decision before, Solomon. And he has to fill these shoes. A pretty great task, not only to succeed King David, but the job description itself is a pretty great task that he finds himself in. If you remember, King Solomon, scholars have him at age 20 or 21 as he begins to reign, some even say 19, And when he becomes king, he finds himself replacing King David. And many people looked at him and thought, David set him up for failure. Maybe there should have been a time where Adonijah did reign. And then Solomon succeeded him after a while. Or or something in between. He's too young. He's too inexperienced. And they would be partially right. Because Solomon, or anyone, could not lead this nation right without the help of someone greater. So let's take a look at what is taking place here. First thing that we see is Solomon's sacrifice. It begins in uh, verse 4 here. To understand this time of sacrifice fully, we really have to look at the parallel passage, which is in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. It's talking about the same account, and it gives us a few more details and, and exactly what is taking place. So the place where Solomon is here is Gibeon, and Gibeon was the main place of worship for Israel. So we talked a couple weeks about how there were many of these high places, which was a a disobedience to God, but the place at Gibeon was really the main spot of worship, and the reason was because the brazen altar was there that Moses uh, had made, right? And so that was in uh, this worship spot in the tabernacle here in Gibeon. And that is the main spot of worship where Israelites would go to worship the one true God. And you see, even as you read through verse 4, it says, For that was the great high place. Second Chronicles gives us the details that the Ark of the Covenant was not there, but at a place in Jerusalem. 
But this place was the main place of worship, uh, worshiping God in Israel at this time. And Israel really is still worshiping in different locations, like we saw uh, a couple weeks ago, which is still a, uh, a disobedience to God's command. And as you see this, you see that Solomon goes here. And if you read through the story, you, you see that he had a thousand burnt offerings. Now, that is a lot for one man, right? So that's where Second Chronicles sheds some light on this, because this is not just Solomon. If you go to Second Chronicles, Solomon actually went to the people and several of the leaders and said, let's go worship the Lord together. And no doubt, this was a collective burnt sacrifice from all these people that are here at this time at Gibeon. Um, it's, it's very likely that Solomon had all of these resources at his disposal, but you also have to understand there are leaders and the children of Israel are with him at this uh, sacrifice, and it's a collective sacrifice here. And it's, it's claimed to Solomon, he starts this, this is uh, his idea to go. And um, we're going to see here in a second, because God appears to him in a dream, we see that this is more than a one-day event. So they didn't go to Gibeon, sacrifice, one sacrifice, head back to Jerusalem. All right? they, this very well could have been a couple days, if not at least a day and a night leave the next day, because it does say that God appears to Solomon at night. And this sheds some light on the size of the sacrifice here as well. And a thousand burnt offerings are made, which as you read through the Old Testament, there's really only a few sacrifices from people unto God that even come close to this amount. And uh, this, is, this is a major procession, you might say, solemn procession to worship the one true God. So that, that's what we see about Solomon's sacrifices. But then we go on and see that God appears to King Solomon as this procession is taking place and Solomon is in Gibeon. God appears to King Solomon and we see that God appears to him in a dream, which was a common way for God to reveal himself to mankind. At this time in history, it happened before. If you remember, King David had prophets like Nathan to reveal God's word and God's will. And at this time, God chooses to reveal himself to King Solomon through a dream. And God asked Solomon one simple question. Solomon, what shall I give thee? In essence, what is happening here is that God is asking Solomon what he wants, what he desires, what he needs from God the most. It's also understood here in our narrative that this question is given with the intent that God was going to give to Solomon whatever he ended up asking for. God is coming to Solomon saying, what do you want, what do you need, I will give it to you. Pretty amazing thing to have happen to you. The God who owns everything says, ask for anything and it's yours. And it's comforting to know that that same God hears our cries and sees our needs as well. But the main part of our passage isn't necessarily God's amazing opportunity, even though we could spend some time on that. He gives Solomon. We want to focus on Solomon's answer. And in asking this question, God would reveal what Solomon's true motives and desires were. And that comes to light in verses 6 through 9 as you see Solomon's answer. Here we have Solomon's response, his one wish, his one desire, his one need. Solomon begins 
answering the question and revealing his greatest need and his humility to recognize his greatest need. And he begins by giving honors to the Lord who led and blessed his father David and who put Solomon on the throne. He recognized he was not there in and of himself. God had placed him in this position. And as he reflects on the kindness and the goodness to his father David, Solomon is really praising the one where it, where it is all due. All of these blessings that the nation of Israel had seen. But Solomon has huge shoes to fill. And I don't think we truly understand Solomon is truly concerned about what lies ahead of him. And maybe the word we could use is scared for what his responsibility is. Making decisions about people's lives. Who should die? Who should live? Making decisions about a child and a woman who is the real mother. Making peace with other nations. Handling the building of the magnificent temple. And he comes into this younger than most of us are here tonight. And to this great responsibility. And even if we looked back at chapter 2, at David's final speech to Solomon, you see David says in verse 2, I go the weight of the earth, be thou strong therefore, and show thyself a man. You can do this. God is going to be on your side. So he gives honor to the Lord. And then Solomon admits his cluelessness and inability in verse 7. Solomon refers to his age in verse 7 as being a little child. Again, we were pretty harsh on the conspiracy with Adonijah, Abiathar, and Joab. And so to want Adonijah over Solomon, but I wonder how many of us, myself included, would have been okay with a 19-year-old, 20-year-old leading our nation leading our people and deciding what is right for our families and our people, Solomon sees his age as a weakness of inexperience. And there is nothing more really scary than someone coming into leadership that thinks they have it all together, but especially when they're young, right? But thankfully, even though that this this is many people's attitudes, that they have the answers, they have the experience, Solomon couldn't. And didn't say that. He recognized his cluelessness and his inability. And Solomon admits in verse 7 that he doesn't know the answer to these problems. Even the smaller issues facing the nation. Solomon said, this is all new to me, God. This is difficult for me. I have never done this before. I do not know what I'm doing. I don't have my father, King David, to go get advice from. What did you do in this specific circumstance? I'm on my own when it comes to that. And God, I need your help. Solomon was in a position, not only where he recognizes his cluelessness and inability, but he recognizes the great importance of his position. As you see in verse 8, Thy great people, your chosen people, God, and you've put me in charge. And, And we're so great in number, we can't even count them. And he recognizes this great responsibility. He not only needed help in his own walk and in his own family, but for the nation and all the families and the soldiers and the worship done under his leadership. The responsibility is huge, but his response is perfect. The people were so great they could not even be numbered. And Solomon's answer is found in verse 9. 
Give me an understanding heart to judge thy people, to lead your chosen people, so that I can discern good and evil. This understanding and wisdom, we call it both an understanding and governing, but also wisdom spiritually concerning right and wrong. That's what he's asking for here. Solomon's last statement is interesting in his request here. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? I understand Solomon is young here, and many times it is hard for a young person to admit their need, but many times it's harder for an experienced person to admit their need for God's help. But this this phrase from Solomon here makes me believe that even if Solomon was 50, even if Solomon was 40, even if Solomon was 80, even if King David was still on the throne, even if it was someone very godly, they needed God. Who can, who can have this responsibility, God, without your help, is what he's saying here. You see, even if the older brother Adonijah was king, he would have needed God. Even if King David was still alive and well, he would need God. All of Israel wanted maybe someone older and experienced, but what they needed was someone humble enough to say, I don't have all the answers. God is going to lead this nation. That response is possible for someone of any age. I need God. And just as it is, we should say, and it's uncommon to hear sometimes a a young person thrown into leadership say those words, but it can be hard for any of us to admit, I need God. You see, what Solomon needed the most was wisdom. He could have had anything, the desires of his heart, and he knew what he needed the most. He needed God's help. He needed God's discernment as he is placed on the throne. And maybe there are potential threats from other nations, and he has to make decisions. He has to make decisions about these men like his own brother, Adonijah, whether he should live or whether he should die for his wickedness against God and against Solomon. He has to make all of these decisions. And I have to believe that on a daily basis, young King Solomon was overwhelmed with the responsibilities he was, that were placed on him. And it was obvious to him when God came to him in a dream and said, what do you, what do you ask for? And Solomon said, I'm glad you asked. I'm drowning here. I can't do it. I need your help. I don't even know how to go out or come in. I can't even figure out the simple things of my own life. How am I supposed to lead this great nation? That's Solomon's answer. And then the rest of our passage, verses 10 through 15, God gave more than was asked or thought. It's a characteristic of God that's comforting. God is pleased with Solomon's request in verse 10. Solomon says... I need wisdom, I need discernment, I need help from you. And God is pleased. You almost almost get the sense here that God says, finally, now that's a heart I can work with. Now that's a man who admits his need for me, and now I can use. Now I can do some things through. But it started with being humble enough to admit that need. Verse 12, God grants Solomon the discernment he desired. He gave Solomon a wise and understanding heart. And here it is said, there would never be another Solomon. 
And there never was a man like Solomon before him that God gave this amount of discernment and wisdom to. But God gives Solomon what he did not ask for as well. In verse 13, God gives Solomon riches and honor unlike any other king. 2 Chronicles chapter 9 details just some of the riches of Solomon. It talks about all the chariots and how much gold came in on a regular basis. His magnificent palace and throne. Other nations would be given to Israel, would be giving to Israel through these trade, uh, trading peace treaties. The honor that, that God gives uh, Solomon here is seen as a result of both the riches and the wisdom. He has this great respect from all other nations now. He earned from even some of the most vile nations who did not know the one true God. In verse 14, God gives Solomon the blessing of a long life with a condition. The condition being that he walk after God and after God alone. So there's a condition to this length of days promise that he walk with God as his father David. And unfortunately, as we looked at last uh, time we were together, Solomon will lose his heart for God because of his compromise. And Solomon is thought to have lived roughly 60 to 61 years old uh, because if he comes into reign at 20 or 21 and he reigns for 40 years before he dies, it's thought to be about 60, 61 years old. And so we don't necessarily see an amazing blessing that he's living longer than other people at this time because he does lose his heart for God. Now, he does live more than some of the other kings that you'll find in 1 Kings because they were wicked before God from the get-go. And um, you see that, but we really don't necessarily see clearly this promise being fulfilled as he dies around 60-61. Solomon wakes up in verse 15 from this dream and responds with more worship and more sacrifice for the gifts that God had given him. And this time, he goes back to Jerusalem, to the place the Ark of the Covenant was. And he goes to that place of worship. And that should be our response as well, when God gives us more than we even ask or think. Solomon's wisdom and discernment is about to be put to the test as our narrative takes a turn in verse 16, and this young king is put with a decision of two mothers, right, if you remember the narrative, that are claiming the same child to be theirs. But for tonight, can we apply this well-known story that we, we know about Solomon's request for wisdom to our life as well? In our portion of the narrative here this evening, we see Solomon's greatest need. He needed wisdom from God to rule the nation. But we also see the character of our Heavenly Father who loves to reward and bless abundantly when we are seeking and serving Him. So what do we apply to our lives this evening? What is our timeless truth? That truth that was true for King Solomon and is just as true for us today. And our timeless truth this evening is that we all need wisdom from God daily. We all need God's help. Let's look closer at this timeless truth with the remainder of our time. What is this wisdom or discernment that we need? What, it, what specifically is it? So let's define wisdom 
this way. First, we have to recognize and understand that the specific wisdom that Solomon needed and that you and I so desperately need in our life originates from God. That's where it originates from. This discernment that is needed, it comes from the Lord. Can I ask you something this evening? Is there a better place to get this discernment and wisdom from? The all-knowing, all-wise God who created everything and it is in control of everything. You see, this is important to know because there are many things in the world today that even Christians hold to as being wisdom or discernment to live by, but it doesn't originate from God. It doesn't originate from His Word. It might originate from a scholar or from a family member or from a friend. And they accept that as discernment. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, yes, we do, me right here, us right here tonight, let him ask of God. That's where it originates. Isaiah 28.29 says, This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. That Hebrew word there for working means guidance or wisdom. He's excellent in counsel and in guidance in our life. Who better to have this wisdom, this discernment originate from? And we all need it. But what is this wisdom that only God can give? Let's be a little bit more specific. Many times Christians have a small view of the wisdom discussed here in 1 Kings and even in the New Testament like James chapter 1. We look at wisdom as being good judgment in dealing with the difficult, practical issues of life. But really, wisdom is expanded to all types of understanding, all areas of life. Wisdom is moral discernment. It is practical discernment. It is everyday wisdom. Even in the book of Proverbs, right, we find moral wisdom and we find practical wisdom for everyday life. Let me put it this way, if you live with godly wisdom, that means you live in a way morally pure before God and standing before Him. But all, God also gives you wisdom in the workplace, in the home, for each specific instance to you personally. We should have the desire to live morally pure, and we need God's wisdom to do that. But when it comes to life, God wants us to ask for wisdom and discernment from Him in every area. One of the ways I can describe this is the, uh, the last ministry that we were a part of. Uh, one of the first days I was on the job, I was asked to do a job in the IT department. And I had never done anything with IT or technology before in my life. I think the pastor got me mixed up with someone else that he was interviewing for an IT position. And I remember sitting in my office looking at my computer, which now... I remember the problem was a very small problem I could fix in a couple seconds. And staring at my computer screen saying, God, I need help. I don't know what to do. I, I mean, I know this is a simple fix. I just don't know how to do it. And I can't count the number of times that God's wisdom has surpassed more than moral purity. It's even been practical, everyday discernment and help. That's how large of a scope wisdom from God and help from God actually covers. Wisdom that we need originates from our Heavenly Father 
And James says, who gives liberally, who gives without restraint, and is discernment and knowledge put into action concerning right and wrong, practical and everyday issues. It encompasses prudence for your Christian life. We've looked at prudence before. And also practical help. Wisdom is help from God in every area of life. That's what Solomon's asking God for. God, I need your help to lead this nation in holiness. I need your help in the simple decisions of governing this this nation. I need your help when someone comes up to me with a question that I can't answer. God, I need your help in every area of my life. That's what wisdom is. So is this our greatest need as well? Well, as we look tonight, obviously, before we're saved, our greatest need is a Savior. And we have that need, and Christ has so graciously given us that free gift. But after salvation, like Solomon, you and I have to recognize our cluelessness and our inability. We have to look at ourselves honestly. And when we do that, I think all of us could say tonight, I need God's help. I need God's help in my Christian life. I need God's help raising children. I need God's help with the Christian school. I need God's help in our church. I need God's help at work. I need God's help in the secular work environment where I might be the only light of the gospel. I need God's help. There is not a single Christian in here this evening that has it all figured out without God. We need God's wisdom every day. If we didn't, there wouldn't be verses in Scripture like one of our memory verses, John 15, 5, which the last phrase says, For without me, ye can do nothing. Psalm 47, 17 says, But I am poor and needy. I'm in need of God, and yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Psalm 119, 133, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. We're in need. We need God. Teenager, You need God's wisdom, not man's wisdom, when it comes to choosing your friends and conversations on a daily basis. We all need God's wisdom on the smartphone device that is in our hands and social media. Teenager, you need God's wisdom for who to date and what boundaries to set when dating. You need God's wisdom at your jobs in choosing the right college or the right steps for you after high school. You need God's help. Adults, we need God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom in loving our spouse. We need God's wisdom in raising children, setting boundaries for our children, staying away from compromise, leading our family in our own life in holy living. We need God's help in the workplace. We need God's help in everyday situations that arise with handling people, with handling problems that God can and wants to help you and I with. Just as was the case with Solomon, we are clueless and incapable of living wholly before God on our own. We need God's help. Just as Solomon had such a great responsibility in leading a nation closer to God, leading a nation to declare the one true God in an accurate light to the nations around them, to lead God's chosen people each One of us, as a Christian, we are portraying Christ to the world. 
And many of us have children we raise or grandchildren. Many of us are the only light for Christ in the workplace. And we need God. You and I, as a Christian, we work for Jehovah. And God picked to use His people to get His work done. His people that are so needy, that are so incapable, that are so clueless, yet He chose to do His work here in this age through His children. God chose clueless people to do an important job, and we have to be humble enough that, to realize we need His help. There's not a single Christian here this evening that does not need God's help daily in every decision. You could have been a Christian for years, educated in the Scriptures, have a good Christian family. It doesn't matter. We need God's help. We need Christians who have an attitude that says, I cannot afford to mess this up. I need God's help. Choices come every day. And decisions must be made. And our decisions produce habits. And habits produce lifestyles. And lifestyles produce consequences or blessings. And we need God's help. There are Christians today who need a desire for wisdom. If we were to ask Pastor Joe or any one of us here tonight, what is your greatest need? We should all have a heart that says, I need God's help. I need God. It's our greatest need as well. Like Solomon, we are in need. And like Solomon, we have important tasks before us as well. But what's the greatest obstacle to getting this wisdom? You know what is really every believer's obstacle in this wisdom that reaches our sanctification, that reaches our holiness, that reaches the practical issues in life and the work and the family? We live as though we do not need help. Too many believers don't mind way to live life. So what do, you, what do you mean by that, Pastor Joe? Do you mean Christians are just walking around not caring if they fall? When we don't seek God's help, that's kind of our attitude. Sometimes we have teenagers and adults who could care less about God's discernment and wisdom on who to marry, on boundaries to make when you are not married. We have Christian women and men who, who start dating someone and they all of a sudden ask God, give me wisdom if I should marry this person. And the fact of the matter is God gave them the wisdom they needed before they even started dating that person. They weren't willing to listen. There are Christian parents that do not exercise the prudence we've discussed and do not see the potential dangers of compromise. And they make decisions for their families without help from God. It's what other believers do, or it's what I think is best. We need Christians today who will wake up daily and say, God, I need you today. And I need your wisdom, and I need your discernment. God, I struggle in these areas. I need your help. God, I have a child or children that struggle in these areas. I need your help. God, I want to glorify you today, but I need your help. God, I know this daunting task is at work waiting for me today. I need your help getting through the day. I need your help. Folks, show me one Christian who can live in our current world and do well without God's help, without God's wisdom. Show me any person with a smartphone that doesn't need God's help or God's wisdom in handling it. 
in a world that is telling teenagers and everyone what is right for marriage, what is okay outside of marriage, what words are okay to use, what beauty looks like. Name me one teenager that doesn't need God's help in the world we live in. One parent that doesn't need God's help in helping those children. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God said, yes, now that is a heart I can work with. We're not okay without him, but we foolishly create standards for our lives and our families without him. And we foolishly live as though we have it under control. In a world that blurs the lines of right and wrong, we need God's wisdom. In a day and age where Christianity, unfortunately, Christians have blurred the lines of what is okay for a Christian to do and what is not okay, we need God's discernment in an age like that. We need God's help. We need His Word. We need His wisdom. It is wisdom that originates from God, but is given when there is a heart that has a need for it. God, I need you. I need you in this day and age. I need your help raising my kids. I need your help at work. I need your help with fighting sin. I need your help choosing friends. I need your help with my relationship. God, I don't want to mess this up, this life up. And without you, I most certainly will. We need God's wisdom and the greatest obstacle to overcome is ourself and not admitting our need for our God. So let's wrap up by just quickly understanding what pursuing wisdom is. We all need this wisdom, right? We would agree with that this evening. So let me ask you this question. Why do we not ask for it? Why do we not seek it? Why do we not see it as a great need? You see, we can sit here and look at our own life and see if we actually have a heart that says, God, I need you, by seeing how much we actually ask for it. Because when there is a life that realizes their need for God, they have the same reaction Solomon had, and they ask for it. They seek it. They pursue it. We call it pursuing wisdom, because if you want to turn over to Proverbs chapter 2, it's unique that God used Solomon to give the rest of us practical help for pursuing God's help. For pursuing God's wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 2... We realize we need God's wisdom every day, which means we need to seek His wisdom every day. And Proverbs chapter 2, verse 4, speaking of wisdom, says this, If thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures. I think sometimes when I read that verse of those that went west to gold mine. Right? And leaving everything behind, sometimes even family, everything they knew, because there was the possibility of finding some gold that would put their life right. It's the same attitude here for wisdom. Solomon, God is telling us wisdom is precious, it is deserving of you putting things aside to fully pursue it, to fully seek it out, to ask. For it like it is hid treasure. Like it's as precious as silver. So how do we pursue wisdom? Well, Solomon in chapter 2 in Proverbs gives us some ways and in other verses as well. We have to pray for wisdom, right? The Bible tells us that. And verse 3 in chapter 2 says, Criest out after wisdom. 
James chapter 1, we already looked at. If any of you lack wisdom, yeah, that's us. Let him ask of God. I wonder if the amount of wisdom we have from God was solely dependent on how often we ask for his wisdom, how much wisdom would we actually have? Just wisdom in the major areas that come up and we know we need God in those major areas? Or is it wisdom every day? Are we asking God for wisdom? Are we waking up in the morning, spending time with our God and saying, God, I need you today. Without you today, I will surely fail. I need your help. I need your wisdom today. We ask for it. We pray for it. That's what we do on a daily basis, to seek and to pursue wisdom. What else do we know? We'll listen and seek wise counsel. Solomon says that in the first verse of chapter 2. Attend unto my words. He says it again in chapter 1 and verse 5. And Psalm chapter 37 verse 3 talks about wise counsel as well. When someone gives you advice and that person has sought out God's wisdom, it's probably important we listen. We should invite it. We should ask for it. If we know someone is constantly communicating and in a relationship with their Heavenly Father, then it's wise to seek counsel from them. And you know how you can discern wise counsel? Take their counsel and bring it back to God's Word. And that's how we can realize that in our life. So heed the words of those who have sought and experienced God's wisdom for themselves. Pray for wisdom. Listen and seek wise counsel. Fear the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fearing the Lord, it's a holy reverence. It's a lifestyle that wakes up on a daily basis that said, God, today is for you. Today is all about you. You deserve it. And when our life is lived for God out of a reverence to Him, that is a great way to start our day pursuing wisdom as well. It starts with a lifestyle. It starts with a heart that is truly reverent to God. That's the beginning of it. Fear the Lord. What else? Search the scriptures daily, right? Psalm 119, 104 through 106 says this, Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It shows me the wise way to live. That's what it's saying there. I have sworn and will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. If you were to read chapter 2 in Proverbs tonight, you would see all of the things wisdom keeps us from and the prudence that is involved in wisdom. And that's what we find in Scripture. So if we want to pursue wisdom, we need to ask for it. We need to pray. We need to listen and seek godly counsel. We need to fear the Lord. That's where it all starts. You and I have to seek the Scriptures daily. That's where we find what God has for us. That's where we hear from Him. And then lastly, one maybe you didn't think of was number your days. Interestingly, we have Solomon who helps us with this advice and his father, King David, helping us with how to pursue God's help. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know, it's a wise way to live your life realizing that life is temporal. Realizing there is eternity. Realizing that life is short. So what the psalmist is saying 
is when you live like today could be your last, you don't waste it. You don't want to mess up. You seek God's help. You seek wisdom. You seek his precepts. You seek his word that is a lamp, that is a light to the way that we live, to the way that we walk. That's how we pursue wisdom. We all need it daily, right? We all need God's help daily. That means we all need to pursue it daily as well. So how are we doing with asking God for wisdom? God, I need your help today. How are we doing with seeking counsel? Sometimes we think we're the wisest counsel we can give ourselves, right? How are we doing with a heart that fears the Lord? How are we doing searching the scriptures daily? And are we living a day-to-day life realizing the temporalness of life and realizing I have one life to live on this earth for Christ before one day I stand before him? That's how we pursue wisdom on a daily basis. So let's conclude with some questions. Where are you at this evening, believer? Maybe you need to pray and repent of trusting yourself in a specific area of your life. Or maybe several or most areas of your life. Maybe you need to pray this evening and ask God to give you that desire to walk in his ways and holy and walk holy and pure before him. And as a result, ask for a heart that realizes your need for him to accomplish that. Perhaps tonight you have a desire and see the need for God's help. Maybe you and I need to be more diligent in pursuing wisdom on a daily basis. And the pursuit of God's wisdom daily. We need it. Maybe you need to commit to pray daily. Find time in God's word daily. Be better about seeking wise counsel. Perhaps you need a mindset for eternity and not this life. Perhaps you need a renewed fear of the Lord and reverence for him and him alone. Many applications can be applied to this timeless truth. We all need what Solomon needed. Wisdom from God. We all need it. Let's pursue it on a daily basis. We're so excited to have a new pastor here with us next week. We're excited of new studies to learn and to grow as well. But as we've looked at 1 Kings, we'll take a pause on it for now. My prayer is that as we look at some of these timeless truths, they would have impacted our spiritual walk, that we would have grown closer to Christ because of them. And hopefully, prayerfully, it has stirred a burden and desire and an enjoyment of finding all of the timeless truths that are throughout the Bible that we all need on a daily basis. But for tonight, as we look at the most common part of the narrative in Solomon's life, he needed wisdom, so do we. Are we pursuing it on a daily basis? Let's pray.